Welcome, Brooke. It's really good to see you still in your party clothes. That's make me makes me really happy. Um, we're going to have a conversation about Vibe Camp, which you've just come back from. And before we do, I thought it's useful for me to set just a little bit of context. So this video is going on the Microsolidarity channel, and Microsolidarity is a collection of practices for building the structures of belonging, like building the structures for community where people can feel like they've found their tribe and then get activated and do stuff together. Um, and so that's kind of like the context that I'm coming from, the background I'm coming from is this community building practice. And your vibe camp thing is kind of coming from a slightly different world with a lot of overlap. And so I'm, I'm keen with this conversation that we sort of introduce your world to my world and vice versa. Um, yes. To, to get kicked off, can you just introduce a little bit of like, what the hell is a vibe camp? <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was hilarious and, and pretty unexpected for me when I, I, so I, I got in Austin a week before vibe camp started. So I was hanging out with people going to meetups and parties and things like that. And that was the, that was the question. I just over and over again, people walking up to me, what, what is vibe camp? And even attendees were like, Rick, what, what is, what are we doing? What is vibe camp? And, and it was something that I, I touched on in the opening ceremonies uh, when, we, when we arrived was that we don't really have an answer yet. It's, it's, it's something that's kind of, it's a little bit new. I mean, it's, it was similar to a festival. It was similar to a conference. It was similar to a retreat, but I don't think it was quite any one of those things. It doesn't fit neatly into any of those boxes. And uh, what, I, what I told people at, you know, when we opened was that it was, we're kind of building it together. We're gonna see what it becomes together and their, their experiences during the weekend, the friendships that they make and, and what they come away with it. Like that's going to inform what Vibe Camp becomes. But to be a little bit more legible than that, what I've been telling my normie friends is that it was a, a conference or a festival for extremely online nerds. Uh, we, uh, yeah, I've been on Twitter for a little over two years now, I think, and have met just some of the most amazing people I've met in my life. And some real strong friendships have been formed. And I see it happening with, with you know, people I don't even interact with. They're just, it's, it's a burgeoning community, a uh, collection of communities probably even. And um, we, we wanted to get together and, and meet each other and take these friendships and connections to, to a deeper level. Yeah, awesome. Um, it's been really obvious to me as um, someone who's kind of involved, but like I, I haven't participated in any meetups or anything, but I'm like aware and kind of participating in the conversations on Twitter it really feels like a scene that has come alive. And it is a, I'm identifying it as the scene of extremely online people, meaning people whose majority of their meaningful social connections are happening online. The people who have learned how to do that well, you know, that where that's not, that's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. And, and, right. and just in the last couple of weeks, there's been multiple gatherings of these people coming together, sometimes for the first time and encountering the, the flesh and be like, wow, you're even more exciting in person than just through these little tweets. So that's really super exciting to witness. Um, it may be useful just to have a bit more of the kind of practical nuts and bolts stuff, like how big, how many days, um, yeah, like, and also some of the lead up, like, what kind of stuff did you have to do to get to pull this thing off? Sure. Yeah. So check in was at 5pm on Friday, March 4th, check out was 12 noon on Sunday. Uh, we so it was just those two nights, we stayed in cabins, it was located at a children's summer camp. 
And we we found that location so serendipitously. I was in conversations fairly early on. I, this is the one thing that I haven't, uh, I had not talked about publicly very much or uh, the scope of my ambitions with with these things because a lot of people did not think I could pull off VibeCamp. So I kind of held back on saying that VibeCamp is just like the first small step in, in what I want to do. Um, and so one of, one of my early calls was with uh, Jonathan Hillis, who's, who's very involved with Creator Cabins, which is a DAO outside of Austin. And I, I felt like their vision is something I could learn a lot from. It's very in alignment with, with where I want to go with things eventually, hopefully. And uh, so I had spoke to him about hosting it there. And they logistically, it would have been a challenge even at the lower attendance count we were anticipating at that time. But his brother owns Camp Champions and suggested we host it there. So that was, uh, it, it ended up working out really, really well for us. We ended up with a final headcount of 397 people. And we had cabins that we were staying in, food was provided. Uh, they had some site activities. So there were things like hatchet throwing, there was a zip line, there were water slides in the pool and archery. And then we had a really collaborative process throughout building VibeCab. We relied really heavily on our Discord server. And pretty much anytime somebody said, hey, I wanna do this, like, can we have this thing at VibeCamp? We'd say, yeah, what can we do to help you bring it to life? And so people, it was it was incredible watching people come together. I, I really believe that even if VibeCamp had been canceled, it would still be considered a successful event in the way that I wanted it to be because so many new connections were made throughout that process. Uh, you know, there was a group of people that got together to do the badges and they, I, I couldn't even keep up with all the conversation. I mean, they were posting like charts showing how, what size pixels you can read from different like distances. And they just went really, really deep into it. And that was uh, something that I couldn't have done. My, my team wouldn't have had like the logistical brain space to make that happen, but it was a key part of, of the event. I think it really, really fleshed, or, uh, it added a lot for, for people there because we don't have a lot of times faces connected with the Abbeys. Um, but it was uh, really like a beautifully collaborative process. Did, did you have like a sense of a, there's like a tight core team and then, and then this wider community of contributors that, how did that formation happen? Yeah. I'm kind of curious as well, actually, even, even to one back a step, it's like, who are you? Like, how did, how, how did you become um, authorized to do this? Like, where did that, that sense of permission come from? And then, yeah, like, how did you assemble a team? Sure. So the the genesis of VibeCamp was a tweet that Grounded Sage on Twitter uh, tweeted out in July, the end of July, I think. He said, so when's the first in-group meetup with attendance in the thousands? And I quote tweeted it. I said, you guys really want to do this? Because if you don't really care, I, 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 won't, I won't do it. But if, you, if there's enough enthusiasm, like I promise I will make it happen. And some people have been, you know, quoting, you know, the visa thing, like joke about the outcomes you want to see, but I was never joking. I was, I was just like, I'm, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and so I, at, at, in that tweet, a few different people either volunteered to help or were tagged in there. Uh, Grin underscore IO was one of the people that got tagged and I hadn't, I hadn't met him before. And he was really just one of the core contributors. We could not have done it without him. Uh, we had uh, ended up with a team by the end of thing, it was a team of eight people. And I had weekly meetings with them starting starting beginning of August, I think probably. And uh, mostly just brainstorming for a long time. We didn't nail down a location uh, until November. And, and at one point, as far as the permission goes, I was, I was leading things or, or, or trying to encourage things to be uh, a lot more uh, decentralized, I suppose, than, than they ended up being. I mean, we're still 
fairly decentralized, but I, Grant had a call with me at one point and he was like, we like, it's not very efficient right now. We need, we need you to like be the leader. You are the leader. Like you need to just, you know, take on that role. And there, there were some things where it really did save a lot of time mm -hmm. for me to just, for me to just be the one who made the decisions. Uh, so it's been a really, really fascinating learning experience for me. Um, yeah, did that answer the question? Yeah. Um, I think what I'm thinking about is there must be so many people that like participate or even see it from the outside and they they disqualify themselves from, from thinking they could do something like that. You know, it just seems like, wow, that's so intimidating. It's such an amazing thing you did. Um, and I wonder kind of like what, what was it about you that, like, how did you, yeah, how did you, how did you know you could do it? Like, what, what was the sort of um, background Ooh. that gave you that confidence? Oh, man, that's a, that's an interesting question and a challenging one for me to answer. I, um, my, my backstory is a fairly unique one. I, I have never had, I've, I've never done any event planning. I've never even been to Burning Man. I did, however, spend a couple of years on the street in Los Angeles, had some, a lot of drug problems, things like that. And through the course of that, I had a series of realizations that kind of just fixed my brain. I've been sober for over, uh, yeah, over two years now. And, and immediately when, when I kind of like re-entered human society, I was telling people like, I, I figured things out. I can do anything now. And people are like, all right, bro, we're glad you're not using meth anymore. <laughs> so, so that's something that just on a personal level has been incredibly validating for me because I, I, I had that knowledge and I knew I needed to prove it to people first, but I know that's not very helpful for other people looking in. Uh, possibly more helpful is just one of the realizations I had was just that I was the one standing in my own way for my whole life. Uh, and I, I you know, that's, there's a lot that can go into that, but yeah. Wow, that's amazing. That's so rad. I, I, it's a mystery to me. Like your story is unique, but um, there's this kind of threshold where people, some people will step over the threshold and recognize their own agency and be like, they become animated and, and creative and like powerful, you know? And I'm always curious, like, how do you get people over that threshold? And like, yeah. I know about, um, I know about role models. I know about encouragement. I know about appreciation enthusiasm all these kind of things but um they, they all feel like kind of only small parts of, of a very complex right. thing and like in your in your story obviously you're doing this deep interior psychological work for multiple years to then some get get to some kind of breakthrough they're like oh i i can make stuff i can do stuff yeah it gives me a lot of anticipation as well for what comes next because we'll, we'll save that we'll talk about that later but <laughs> <laughs> this is just you getting warmed up <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, do you want to say a bit more about what, um, yeah, what leadership is like for you? Like you said about you wanted it to be a bit more decentralized, but then it was more efficient to, for you to call the shots. Like, how did you feel? Were you, um, yeah, was it kind of a dilemma or like, was it just pragmatic and you're happy or yeah. I, I we, we, overall, we were still very, very collaborative on anything that's, not a minor logistical detail. I, I do, I do consult the team. We've got, uh, we are, we are technically under an LLC wrapper. Uh, we've got, I, and I don't fully, I haven't really fully dived into all of that yet. I don't really understand quite how all that stuff works, but um, I mean, so far it hasn't really come up. We just, I'll, I'll bring things up. And if it seems like the general sentiment is a yes, we do it. And if no, then we don't or figure something else out. Mm -hmm. um, 
Would you? I realized, yes. Would you make it after you've consulted? If you know that there's some disagreement, but you think it's the right call, would you still make the call? That is somewhat situational. There are, I, I, I can't think of anything where I was really dead set on something and people disagreed with me and I went on it anyway. Uh, I, I could see there potentially being something like that, but I, yeah, I, I pretty much, if, if, if there's, if everybody always, yeah, I figure like I'm probably wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking like, um, it sounds like, uh, you know, we call it, we sometimes nerds talk about rough consensus, which is like a kind of yeah. not perfectly decide, defined, but people kind of get what's expected of them. Um, and that can break down at times. Like sometimes people need a really explicit, like, this is who's calling the shots and this is the process. But it just makes me think that when you've got one event, it's kind of like there's a deadline. It's obvious we're heading towards this thing. And people can, I don't know, it, it, it sort of helps people to, um, having that deadline kind of helps people to delegate or to or just, just say, yeah, that's good enough. I'm not too worried. Because it's like every day you're getting closer to the thing. And if you were a more if you're going to step into a mode of being a more permanent organization, maybe, maybe you'll need to make these decision processes a bit more explicit or a bit more like, you know, these are the times where we go for consensus and these are the times where we're really just going to take advice and then call the shots. Like, that stuff might, might come up, but it's interesting to hear. It sounds like it's been really smooth. How, how would you, like, what are your thoughts on that? As I was speaking, I kind of paused at one point because I was I was remembering the things we discussed in your microsolidity workshop and uh, having sort of the more decentralized, you know, slightly different power dynamics maybe than is typical. And and I'm not sure we really quite lived up to that. And I don't know. I, I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are mm -hmm. moving forward. If you mm -hmm. think it might be in our in our interest to like kind of change how we do things. Well, you did live up to it because the, the approach is social fabric first, you know, like just trust, relationships, culture, vibes, just build that relational soil first. And it's kind of like, who cares what else? Like that is the, that's the foundation. And it was just so obvious in everything that you were doing as a team and then in the production and everyone's response to the event was like, obviously social fabric was the main input and the main outcome. Um, so like you're doing that. But then on top of that foundation, you can build more like action-oriented stuff, more, um, you know, like more resourced organizations, more like activated teams that are very productive and so on. Yeah. Um, and when you get into that stage, then you need more organizing practices, which are more like project management and governance and less like mm -hmm. event organizing. You know, it's like a bit, a right. bit different. Um, but the short version, I mean, the long version is you know, take our online, our other online course, which takes a few weeks. But the, the short version is once you've got the social fabric and you're intentionally cultivating that, you know, that you actually have reliable processes for, for continuously renewing the relationships, then you just add on top of that these intentional cycles of learning and just structure the whole organization around its learning cycles. So when you've got one event, that's an obvious cycle. But if you're in a more ongoing organization, it might be a cycle might be one month long or something. And at the end of every month, you stop and review together what's been going well about the way of working and what's what's not so good about it, what's been frustrating or like tense or annoying. And at the end of the cycle, you always choose one or two improvements. 
So this is not about the product. It's not about the event. It's about how we're talking to each other, how we work, how we do decision making, how we distribute power, all those sorts of things. That's the topic of that conversation. And so each at the end of each cycle, we're just making these small iterative improvements. Um, and one month it might be like, oh yeah, we need to tighten up our decision making. And the next month it might be, we need a conflict resolution process. And the next one is like, hey, the financial system doesn't really work. Um, and you just can kind of incrementally get at those one by one and you yeah. just build just in time structure rather than trying to articulate this whole abstract thing from day one. Yeah, yeah, that that resonates with me. I, I had a, a couple people come up and ask like, how did you do this? And it really was just, it was one step at a time like fixing each problem as they came and and changing things when they needed to be changed. I feel like you can accomplish a lot very quickly just mm. by, you know, taking small steps, but taking them rather quickly. <laughs> and the, the, the really important thing is to close the learning loop. So like this was part of the reason I wanted to talk to you so soon after the event was to, mm. to grab some of the lessons while they're hot. So like this is, this is what we call the retrospective process. Like mm. we've just done a thing, by all accounts, it was pretty awesome. Um, there probably also were some kind of fuck ups or some kind of lessons, it, not just yeah. fuck ups, but also like fuck yes, you know, like some things that you definitely want to do again and other things which you definitely don't want to do again. And while this, um, all of this subtle information is kind of live in your short term memory, it's a really good time to start uncovering that together and going like, what did we learn here? Because you'll be able to do that in 20 minutes now. But in three weeks' time, it'll all just be like uh, in the first. Right. So you can structure that process into the organization. I'm curious, um, as I said, fuck ups and fuck years, um, if anything came immediately to mind. Oh, I, I think one of the fuck yeahs, let's start there, uh, was was the cabin process. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it wasn't it wasn't perfect by any means. There's a lot that we can do to improve it, but it, it wasn't really necessary logistically. People could have just showed up and gone to a cabin and it would have been fine. But we had this whole thing in the Discord server where people were coming up with funny ideas or themes for cabins and pulling in members. And and a lot of people, there were several cabins that had group video calls beforehand. They had group chats. It was a, a really great way for people to get to know individuals before showing up at the event. And, and I think that that was, that's something that I definitely want to, want to improve on and keep, keep using. So I think that was sort of like an accidental, like, yes, this was, this was really essential. Let me just, uh, let me just double yeah. on that. So that is an illustration of the principle for me of what I call like the, the fractal scales of belonging. So there's a vibe that you're cultivating in your core crew. And that's like a really mm-hmm. small, small circle. And then the, the cabins are also small circles. And if, if you can, it's much easier for people to feel safe and happy and excited in that small space. And if you get a critical mass of those cabins working, then the much larger scale of like 400 people is much more likely yeah. to go. Whereas if everyone was in like just their own tent or, or on their own yeah. or like didn't have that sense of meaningful connection at that smaller scale, it like really makes the, the large scale a lot harder. So I just wanted to grab that. What else were you about to say? Uh so I mean, some of the some of the fuck ups were maybe things that we couldn't avoid. It. There were there were a few fairly minor incidents, uh, generally involving just one person at the event uh, that we I don't know that we could have really been more prepared for, but will inform our our process going forward. We're going to like discuss and have that was uh, something I wanted to talk to you about later. But uh, most of the other things were kind of just I mean like PayPal shut us down twice. Uh, I don't, we still don't really know why, but that could have been disastrous. Uh, they, they held up 
quite quite a large sum of money weeks before we we were go time. So we were very fortunate to get out of that one. Ah, I can't really think of too many like major things that went wrong. It was overall, it was really, really pretty smooth. Amazing. Like, yeah, shockingly. So. <laughs> I mean, there are definitely things we can improve on, but the the things that, I mean, we, uh, yeah, there were, there's just some small logistical things that got a little bit messy, but I, yeah. I don't, I, I feel pretty confident that we can do better next time. Yeah. Um, yes. Let's have a conversation later off the record about um, this like bad apple um, but I guess that's a general principle as well as like, like community is defined by its boundaries, you know, and, and there needs to be yeah. some way of enforcing those boundaries when there's shit going down, you need something like one of the things that I learned from my, like my time on the streets was not homelessness. It was, um, participating in the Occupy movement for a few months, you know, so like mm. being in this kind of public space and having to construct our own reality. I mean, we're working with a lot of homeless people as well. Um, and one of the things that I learned through that like intense, tumultuous process was never make a policy in a crisis. You know, yeah. you want to have the policy ready before you want to anticipate like what are the disasters that could happen and get yeah. something intelligent in place um, rather than be in the drama of like, ah, oh, this person is really causing a lot of shit and we don't know what to do. And then, then people get very defensive or they feel threatened and then you develop policy that turns out to be actually not ideal and it, and it can be really messy. So right. yeah, I'm down for having that, that private chat to unpack that a bit more. I am curious about the money. You just mentioned PayPal and you have my condolences that you had to do with PayPal. I learned a long time ago to ditch PayPal and pay for Stripe. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we know now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it makes me curious though about the, as much as you know, you kind of mentioned you don't know too much about it, but just the kind of like legal financial infrastructure, mm -hmm. how, um, you know, like, were you putting up personally a lot of financial risk to make this happen? How did all this, yeah, how do you no. kind of make that go? The, the community, I mean, there was limited financial risk on the part of some of my team members. I wasn't really in a position to uh, contribute to that, but it was very limited. It was, it was like the, the initial deposit to the site and uh or to the site where we hosted at and then uh like our website fees and things like that it was it was pretty minimal but uh the community just came together in a way that was i don't even want to say like surprising because i i was kind of it's kind of part of what gave me the confidence to do this because i i got that feeling that people would rally behind something like this and they really did we had initial donations we ended up sponsoring 40 people Wow. So 40 people were there uh, completely on scholarships just from donations from the community, which was amazing and definitely something we want to keep moving forward with. And uh, we've got right now, a lot of us are kind of like taking on a lot of different roles as, as we kind of like things shake out. I've got uh, Lithros from Twitter on, on the core team and he has been phenomenal. He's got a background in law. He's also doing our finances right now. So he is both legal and finance at the moment, which will be too much. Uh, if we if we if we keep going at the you know scaling up at the rate uh, we think we can, but um, yeah, I we really just made things up. <laughs> we we had no idea what kind of attendance we'd end up with. Uh, there was a period of time where I kind of thought this is going to be thirty of my friends in the woods, and we had a final surge of tickets that were purchased the last day of ticket sales. It, it increased our numbers by probably a quarter or a third. Just all of a sudden at the very end, we just, uh, that was, oh, that was one of the fuck ups. I ended up um, 
I ended up being the one who was handling in my personal DMs all of the last minute ticket purchases. I had to send out the links, get the confirmation, add it on the air table. And it was, it was overwhelming. And I said something about how I didn't think it was a good idea for me to do it. And I didn't get any, any immediate volunteers. And I should have stuck to my guns about that because uh, we were a little bit unsettled when like, I just, I, I could not, I could not keep an eye on, on, on the big picture as those things were all coming in. I had no idea how much our numbers had grown. We were sitting at like 250 to 300 people. And then all of a sudden it was 400. And some of my team were not very happy about that because we weren't sure we could handle it. But I just, it just happened without me. And maybe like, maybe I would have decided that it was fine anyway, but I didn't like that. I, I kind of like let the decision be taken out of my hand by, yeah. by not putting myself in a place where I could kind of like monitor what was going on. Yeah. I mean, both of those things, um, that example, and also the money stuff, it just makes me think bottlenecks in your process can really throw a spanner in the works like you need to have you need to have people who are really good with systems that can that can help you know that can that that that's their kind of leadership is like i'll make a really slick system here and everything's going to get and it's not going to get you distracted from the big picture yeah yeah but as far as as far as the finances go we kind of like we took the amount that the site was going to charge us per person and then we just added some to it and kind of was like oh 300 is like a nice round number let's do that we did not we did not have any idea what buses were going to cost. Actually, well, we got we got a quote before we before we set the ticket price. We got a quote, but it was it was ended up being wildly different because we didn't end up booking the buses until like weeks maybe before the event. So a lot of this was kind of like roughshod. But um, I mean, to turn around from like August to to March to have an event that's successful, I think we did fairly well. But none of us got paid for it. Uh, we, we do have a nest egg saved for the next one, but we didn't, we didn't incorporate enough of a margin to get to, to, to pay ourselves. Uh, so people on Twitter have asked, and we put up a donation link now for, for the, the org team members to get paid something. So that's pretty sweet, but we will definitely, I mean, this is not sustainable at the levels of work that this took, uh, to, to have it be, a labor solely a labor of love forever. So we are going to have to figure that out for the next one, but I feel pretty confident that there's, we'll, we'll be able to do that. Um, you should send me the link to that donation link and I'll put it out with this conversation as well so people that are feeling oh, like grateful and generous can help you out because I mean this is another lesson for me is like these things need to be sustainable I mean it's fine if it's yeah. a one-off that's completely fine that you can come yeah. in and just volunteer a huge amount of energy and even if you didn't get paid in money, you got paid in social capital, you know, new opportunities, new connections. Yeah. Like yeah. everyone loves the shit out of you. You've got like a thousand couches you can now stay on in the world. <laughs> 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 you know, that's something. Um, but if it's going to be sustainable, it, it needs to it needs to be paying for itself. You know, it needs to be it it, it it's difficult for people to value the work of community building. Uh, for lots yeah. of reasons, kind of like side conversation there. But um, for me, it's really important that we're creative and figure out business models so that the people are doing the work that you're doing are well paid for it. So it's not just like a volunteer thing that happens on the sidelines, but it can be your main gig and like really focus on it. So hopefully future gatherings have enough margin where you can actually get paid yeah. properly to do the work. I think there's, I, 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 I will be able to, we will be able to figure out a way. I've already had the final night of Vibe Camp. We built a, uh, a cuddle fort with, with sheets for the roof and several different little nooks everywhere and pillows and everything. It was beautiful and had a really uh, like enriching conversation with a few people there who were just like, Brooke, all right, 
how do we how do we get you money? Let's we need to get you money so that you can just keep doing this forever. And they were so motivated. We had a, a really great kind of like uh, still in vibe camp, but processing vibe camp conversation. And I, I think there's enough motivation in the community that even if I don't have any good ideas or my team doesn't, we will be able to turn to community members and and kind of like crowdsource how to do this so that it is sustainable. Great. Um, that, that leads me to think about the future, I guess, like you did mention, uh, you kind of had some foreshadowing that you have a, an enormous scope of ambition. <laughs> and I'm curious to hear more about that. Like, um, I guess my outsider's perspective was like, there's obviously something here. Um, it really feels like the beginning of something, not the end. Um, and I was bringing my own bias of like, oh, is this the kind of thing where there's going to be like a hundred regional vibe camps next year? Or is this the kind of thing where it's going to be, you want to keep it more coherent and like you're an organizing team and you're going to be kind of getting the ball rolling in a more centralized way. And I'm just curious, like, yeah, tell me more. Sure. Yeah. This is a super exciting topic for me. I, uh, we're, our intention is to publish notes on our process. Once, once we kind of like, I'm still in Austin, we waited a little bit of time to get those put together, but I think it's a net benefit to the world for these kind of events to continue happening. And I do, I, I, I'm not capable just like, you know, we, we don't have the time or the, the ability to do them as many as I think should happen. So I would love to see these spin up. I would love to, for people, they can, I, I haven't talked to the team about whether or not they're okay with them using the name, uh, I don't, whatever, whatever. These kind of events though, we want to help make them happen as much as possible. As far as our, our, our specific team, uh, we are still kind of in discussions uh, about how to move forward in the short term. We, we you know, One option is having it one every year at the same site uh, and then maybe satellite ones around the world, like maybe one smaller one in six months and then the big one. But Vibe Camp uh, at that location can't ever really be that big because they have a max capacity at that site of 600 people. So we get to spend a little bit, but not a lot. So uh, there, there are going to be some discussions that need to go into that. But Kind of like parallel to that, I in, in kind of the same way that I, I I kind of just kind of really believed in my heart from the beginning that Vibe Camp was viable. I kind of believe that just the way the future is going to shake out for for these like Twitter communities is that in like five to ten years they're going to be like globally distributed nodes of people living in geographic proximity and um, you know all the communication with each other and sharing ideas and resources and people and um, that is a very very thrilling concept of the future for me. And I want to be a part of, of making at least like one node happen. Mm. And whether that's going to be with this team of people or not, um, I think that the, the momentum is there. And so I, I kind of like, like Vibe Camp is a pretty cool thing. It was, it was, it was definitely, uh, I, I think a lot of people really got a lot from it, but it was also very, very intense. And I've really been enjoying these smaller scale, just like having an Airbnb with a bunch of Twitter people. And, and I, and I, and I think the utility, one of the one of the utilities of VibeCap is is showing people what it's like to live with people that you care about. Um, you know, just being able to walk up to your neighbor's cabin and say, "Hey, like, like, we gotta go to dinner." Uh, that's that's what I'm hoping will come out of VibeCap is people will have like realize that like, oh, maybe I do want to live with you know with these community of people, these communities of people. I think um, what I just realized one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation with you was to so that I could have my vote on like the future of VibeCap. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's like um i've seen a lot of these communities get started so like especially regional burns for example where 
Um, it starts out with a couple hundred people and it's just like so awesome. And then as it increases in scale, you have decreasing trust, therefore increasing conflict. And suddenly it has to professionalize a lot more and it's kind of less vibesy and more like, uh, shit, we're doing all of this conflict resolution and dealing with bad apples and kind of policing yeah. each other. And, you know, like it gets difficult yeah. as it gets larger. Um, and I, and I just, I'm just, I mean, the reason it's called micro solidarity is because I love the small, right. you know? Yeah. Um, so, so the thing that's kind of come top of mind for me now with the community building I'm doing is that if the objective is to have a, a to sort of maximize positive social impact, then the method is cell division. Like yeah. you could absolutely in the next couple of years be organizing events with 10,000 people there and that could be fun and maybe it's the right thing to do. Um, but there's very few people that have that capacity to do the 10,000 thing. And it, and, it, and it kind of puts you in this category of like, that's out of reach. But like you said, anyone can hire an Airbnb and, and invite seven people around. Um, and quite a few people can organize a thing with hundred people. You know, it's like, yeah. Um, so my sense is really about decentralizing this like the skill of what that not just the skill but the mindset and the attitude of like i'm going to be a community host i'm going to pull people together i'm going to create that container for these meaningful connections and collaborations to form i really want to decentralize that and get lots of people activated and feeling like oh i can do this you know and like you say yeah it's part of this this global network of lots of little hubs that that's that to me yeah i'm i'm just moving into a phase with my work with the inspiral community where I'm really just passionately focused on the cell division. And that comes with like financial and legal and governance implications, you know, like we're a global network and I'm in the process of like developing a proposal to make it a regional network with multiple hubs that are decoupled and that they, there's some kind of global coherence, but it's mostly like regional autonomy. It's more like a federated structure. So I'm kind of voting for, for <laughs> to push you in that direction. No, that's really helpful to hear. That's um, yeah. But the basic, I, I, the, the kind of social physics of it is the number of relationships in a group increase with the square of the number of people. So like, it's kind of like this big exponential takeoff that as, as more people come in, there's just way more relationships. So like, you know, in a group of five people, you have like 10 relationships, but in a group of 50, you have like 1200 relationships. Um, so it's like, if one of those relationships blows up, suddenly you've got this big drama. And the bigger, the bigger you get, the, the more likelihood that there's going to be these dramas and it just... It just sucks the fun out of it. It's really like, you just don't want, I just don't want to be dealing with those yeah. really large groups. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough because there are so many wonderful people on Twitter and I have not met them all yet. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, maybe there could be something in, in doing more frequent but smaller scale things. I, I think we would get fairly overwhelmed with interest. And that's something that I'd like to pick your brain on. Like, how do we, like say in, in six months, we do um, a hundred person thing uh, somewhere else. How, how do we pick which hundred people to go? Because more than a hundred people are going to want to go. Yeah. Um, I think you just have 10 of them simultaneously. <laughs> so, so like, um, oh, okay. So, so I'll tell you a little bit more about Inspiral. There's like a couple hundred people. It's, it's internationally distributed. Um, it's, it thinks of itself as a global network. And like I said, I'm pushing it to become regional. I'm part of a core crew that that kind of put a flag in the sand a couple of years ago saying, we're going to carve off the European region and, and do our own thing with our own events and cultivate more local identity here. And 
because of the pandemic, things were delayed, but we had the first gathering last August and I was one of the co-hosts of that gathering. It was just 15 people, you know, it's, it's, it's micro. Um, but we had the time of our lives, awesome vibe, awesome new connections, lots of like collaborations come out of it. And during that event, two people indicated that they'd be interested in hosting the next one. And so just seeing that energy, me and the other parts of the co-hosting team were like, yes, 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 yes. So we've just like, just last week, actually, while you were at Vibe Camp, I was at another Inspiral retreat that was hosted by those two people, not by me. And I was in the background. I coached them a little bit. I did some of the logistics and the finances to make it easy kind of thing. But they were front of stage, holding the space, inviting people in, setting the tone. And so now we've got twice as many people that know how to host these things. You know, so it's this replication thing. Oh, this is super helpful. Because I, I did, I had a bunch of people say, can I help plan the next one? And, and I've been, uh, you know, I've been telling people to reach out to me in like a week when I'm a little bit more settled, but uh, we, because of our legal wrapper, I was thinking it would be hard to have people on the, on the central planning team uh, to, we'd have to like, I don't know. I mean, we could, I mean, something I, I just wanted to like think about once my brain cleared up a little bit, but that's, that's brilliant. I can have them. I mean, a lot of people have been talking about wanting to do one in Europe and things like that. I don't have to do it. I can, I can, I, and I don't have to tell them to wait. So what I have been saying was like, I, you know, I'll publish the, we'll publish the notes or whatever, but maybe there's, there's something in between those things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would be, um, I mean, I don't have enough context to know, but my, my sort of gut feeling is there may be some people that you can identify personally from the interactions you've already had, where you're like, you, you, and you, and you, I would totally trust you to host something. I'll help you in the background, but do what you want. I think it's going to be fine. Like, if you can find those people and just kind of give them permission and give them support, that's that, that way you don't have to be cutting people out. You're just saying there's lots of these small events happening. And like you say, you can still have the big global thing once a year where you have this like massive inverse that's have the caravan come together. So, and, and feel free to not answer this if it's, if it's not, you know, information you want to share publicly, but with Inspiral, I always forget how you yeah. pronounce it. Is that correct? Uh, how, so with those people who lost the retreat, did you bring them into, I mean, did they get paid for it uh, through you guys or was it something separate? Yeah. So um, technically we're running the events through my company. So not through the, Inspiral's got legal structures, but for complicated reasons, we're using my company for now. The way that we did the first one was, it was the first one, so no one got paid. We just shared the expenses together. Yeah. The second one, we did the same, but then at the end, we said, here's transparently all the finances. This is your share. Um, the people who are hosting this are also paying to be here in this venue. And so if you want to cover their costs, you know, this we can share it out between us, and it's just like a voluntary contribution. And people are really generous and, and covered the costs. And so then the next, I think it would be kind of like the next one, I'd like to professionalize, you know, one more step and say, can we actually pay people at least like an honorarium for their time? They might not be getting paid market rates, but at least it's like, it definitely shouldn't be costing you to do this. Um, and ideally you should yeah. be getting at least a bit. So, and that's the thing, that's the benefit of scale, I guess. The more people you have, the easier it is to do these economies of scale and get more money in. So that's a vote for doing a larger thing. Um, but yeah, it's not like, I don't think about it in terms of bringing people onto payroll. Like, before I got into all of this, I had a, I, I helped to start a co-op and we started with six people that grew to like 12, 12 co-owners of a business. And like every time I got to invite a new co-owner to take, you know, like we have, we have employees, but then once they've been around the block for a while, we invite them to be a co-owner. 
And every time I get to invite a new co-owner, it's like my responsibility and stress goes down, which is just like so awesome knowing that I can take a break and have a sabbatical or be sick or whatever. And people have got it. Um, so that's kind of like the mentality that I'm bringing in is identifying who would I want to be other co-owners of this thing. Um, and if they're coming in with that attitude, they don't necessarily need to be paid market rates either because they're doing it because they love it and because they've got a sense of purpose and meaning and they might be willing to defer the payment until the thing is a bit more sustainable. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you think that would work in your context? I think, I think so. I, I think that could be, uh, I actually had a discussion with somebody about this yesterday. They were saying, yeah, the first event, maybe we just have volunteers and the people who put in the most work then for the next one, we work out some kind of way of getting them paid. I mean, that's what we all did. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I still like, even if, even if we get, uh, we'd have to get a fair amount of donations at this point for me to even cover my, my own personal costs with getting to Austin. I paid for my airfare and Airbnb and all that. Like I, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, but like through this process, there have been a few people, a lot of people offered to help. Most of those people did not follow through on it when we, when we suggested things that they could do or try to like help, like work with them to figure out what would be a good route. So I, I think maybe having this, like, you know, you run the gauntlet first kind of approach could be, could be a really beneficial one. Um, I'm another so excited. Thing, this is, yes, go ahead. The other thing I'm going to play with, well, I'm going to propose and we'll see if the community wants it is a kind of subscription fee, which is prepaying for your ticket. So instead of like, it costs 500 bucks, it's 50 bucks a month. And, um, and, and if you want to be on the discord or if you want to come to the online calls or whatever, you know, there's some kind of like bonus access that you get for that money, but it creates cash flow for the organization. And also some people will pay and then not be able to go to the event. And so that becomes like surplus that you get to share to lower the cost of the whole gathering. So I'm not sure if that's going to work, but that's an experiment I'm hoping to try soon. Yeah, that would be a particularly good one if we were doing uh, a number of smaller regional things. Yeah, you get kind of like a passport, you know, like if you're, yeah. if you're, if you're contributing at this level and you just get to show up for free and have a good time. Yeah. Oh. Is what I was about to say earlier when I said this is so exciting. Like these are these are really, really challenging problems. And they make me feel alive. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to say, like, what you're doing is really special. I hope you are taking the time to read all the, like, glowing testimonials and, and recognize that what you're doing is amazing. Like, it's really amazing. And to say, I'm, I'm completely here with you. Like, any, any support that I can offer, I love jamming on these kind of things. Like, I love these kind of problems. So. Um, if you if you if you're willing to receive my very opinionated takes, I've got an endless supply of them for you. Yeah, I would love to. I, I I think I'm in a better position now to receive them than I was before because so much of what was happening was just I just didn't know how it was going to go. I didn't know whether things were going to work or not. And I, I think now I have a, a much uh, it, it feels a lot more fleshed out to me. I feel like I understand kind of what happened a little bit better and um, have at least like a, a grounding foundation of like, like I can, you know, to, to have these kind of discussions. So I'm really, really excited and will absolutely take you up on that. And yeah, I have been, I have been reading some of the Twitter things. I've also had some, a, a number of people tell me that this is one of the best weekends of their lives, which was really powerful to me. And uh, I don't know if you saw my tweet. I got the, I got the Vibecam logo tattoo. You probably can't see it with the headphones on, but two of our attendees are going to get it done today too. And uh that is a big deal. That is a big deal. 
Oh, yeah. it's so good. Like you said at the start that you, you kind of knew that you were destined for greatness and you were convinced, but you just had to show people and now everyone can see it. It's like, <laughs> I told you. <laughs> yeah. But I also really appreciate how, how supportive you've been from the beginning. I, I think there are a fair number of people that showed up there just to watch it, watch the disaster unfold. And I, I did get a lot of them come up to be like, all right, I'm sorry. I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but you were you were you were one of the people who was just like no it's gonna it's gonna go well uh it's gonna be great you guys are gonna have a great time and there's gonna be some you know some things that you need to do afterwards but um you know I and I I, I appreciate that faith <laughs> I, yeah, anyway. I have faith because I could see how much social fabric you already had like this is yeah. the thing that people that are not part of this part of Twitter won't understand that there's like genuine community happening in this space, other people call it like the hell site. They think of it as this like political tribal argument place. It's like, no, it's yeah. like a really nice place to meet people if you know how to play. Um, and because you had that social fabric, it's like, yeah, problem's gonna happen, but you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, I have, I have almost almost every single Twitter hangout that I've gone to has just been incredible. Uh, it's, it's harder to have a bad time when you've got such amazing people around. And this is the, okay, this is the other thing. Um, Sometimes like when, you know, we're running our trainings and programs and stuff like the one you came to, um, sometimes the feedback we get is like, how did you find such amazing people? And I'm like, um, <laughs> I, th I think that's, it's not how I think about it. It's like, we create a context and an invitation and all the right people show up, you know? And like, okay, maybe one in 500 is going to be a bit of an issue you're going to have to deal with because... I mean, even there's a higher fraction of the population than that that are psychopaths. But like for the most part, you just create the context and the invitation and all the awesome people show up and then they get to know each other and then the magic happens, you know. And so like I'm relentlessly focused on context and invitation. Oh, also, uh, just I, I would like to figure out a little bit more about like logistically. So, um, yes, I, I think that hosting a lot of smaller like more frequent smaller events would would be the way to handle the higher attendance numbers but i still think like you know for the very first couple until it becomes like kind of like a less of like an exciting new thing we are going to run up to those kind of problems um do you have any recommendations for uh i mean we could we could give priority to people who already went uh or we could i i don't know i i'm not really sure how to i, I don't like the idea of you know, I want, I want things to be inclusive, but we just, we cannot be as inclusive yeah. as this. Yeah. 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 It's a, tr it's a, it's a tricky one. Um, I think my immediate instinct is to, is to kind of bring that question to the community and ask the people who yeah. are most engaged, you know, um, yeah. maybe as a core team, you can cook up some options to start the conversation. Um, but just, just be honest, like, we don't really know. We think it has to be this way. It seems like we're going to have to make a compromise whichever option we choose and and just get a kind of read from the community and be transparent about it. Yeah. I'm going to put out a survey soon. Hopefully today I want to get it out. Uh, you know, like, like you were saying, while things are still fresh for people, I want to get some feedback from, from the attendees. Do you have any recommendations for questions that you think should be on there? Yeah. Um, at least my opinion on doing surveys is um, people are happy to answer a survey if it's short. So just keep okay. it as short as possible. So one question can you tell me anything you appreciated about this that you think we should definitely do again? And then what was something where you could see some room for improvement? One thing, one suggestion for how we can improve some constructive criticism. 
Um, and like, <laughs> that's the minimum. And then you might want to add some questions about like, um, yeah, do you, you know, like you might want to use the opportunity to identify potential volunteers that are going to contribute more in future or, you know, a few things like that. But just those like okay. appreciations and improvements, if you just get that, you'll find a lot of people will, will be willing to answer because it's short instead of like 57 questions. Okay, cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, we're getting to the top of the hour, which is when I predicted my brain would start to like get a bit fuzzy, which is currently happening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have got tons of questions here still, but I think, I think I'd like to wrap up pretty soon. Um, and sure. I'm really happy to keep this conversation going in private or in public as you prefer. Um, yes. Part of this as well, I mean, like part of the reason I'm recording these conversations, it's all part of the mission to decentralize these skills and these lessons so that there's people yes. in different contexts that can hear your story and go like, all oh, right, yeah, I never thought of that and, and get, you know, like it's like accelerating the, the learning process for us all. Um, so I'm this, yeah, we, we, we can wrap up soon, but it doesn't have to be the end. And I'm curious if yeah. there's other kind of last thoughts that are on your mind that you'd really like to talk about before we press the stop button. Uh, I mean, no, too many, too many. To, we'll, we'll, we'll put a pause. <laughs> we'll put a pause on this. And I would love to, I, I, I am I'm so happy with the, with the building a public process we've had. I think it was so fun for people uh, in the lead up to Vibe Camp to go back and see, see the tweets where, where it began to be built and, and as it was built over time. And I, I think that that's, uh, I think that's really been a special thing for, for people and for myself to be a part of. And I would like to keep that going. I think that, I think that there's a lot, a lot of strength in building in public. And so if you, if you ever want to just power through some things on, on the, on the timeline with me for people to read as we, as we like figure out like how to do stuff, I, I would love that. I'm yeah, very, awesome. very interested in awesome. that kind of thing. We need like a um, digital archeologist to start, you know, like a librarian. Yeah, <laughs> there must be someone. There must be someone already in the community that loves that kind of thing that can actually build kind of like the history of Vibe Camp through tweets. Yeah, would be yeah. I think I think somebody will probably probably eventually someone's going to get interested enough in Vibe Camp to just do that. I think yeah, I mean, you've, you've always got to think about the future historians that are like celebrating your achievements, right? <laughs> What's that? Were you making fun of me? Oh no! No, I'm not. This is how I live my life. <laughs> This is why so much of my life is in public to make it easy on the future historians. Okay, good, good, yeah. Yeah, it's good. This is part of the major thing of joking about the outcomes you want, you know. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. Well, and thank you so much for taking the. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say the same thing. Thank you for the yeah, time. Yeah, I... let's, let's stop it here. Cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure.